Would you please join with me in prayer? Lord God, we come to you this day grateful for this time of year as we begin our summer season. And just rejoicing that winter's over. Kind of, sort of had a spring. And Lord, that we can be your people, empowered by your Holy Spirit, to minister to one another and others, Lord. And yet, Lord, we, we look at this well-familiar passage, and we pray that you would speak to us this morning, that you would think our thoughts, that you would bend our wills to yours, and that, Lord, you would set our hearts on fire with love for you and for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You know, this is a real hard time of year for school kids. You know, if you're still in school, I feel for you because we used to start school after Labor Day and we went to about the second week of June in Virginia back when I was coming through. And in first and second grade, I didn't call it them, but I call them now. All the boys in my classes, we came up with real stupid games because we were going crazy having to come to school. And so I, I read this text and I thought of a stupid game we used to play. It was really stupid. And it was stupid because somebody always got hurt, you know. So all the boys in the class would line up. we call this game Walk the Line. And so we'd go to the far, this was a ginormous playground, huge blacktop. There's about 300 kids are running around. And so the teachers couldn't see what was going on. And we knew that. So we went over to the far corner where there was the line, far line of a baseline of a basketball court. And so all the boys would line up on one side of the line, the other side of the line, and you had to walk on the line as fast as you could without getting pushed off. Okay? You weren't allowed to push, but you could shove. This is a first and second grade, so this is seven, eight-year-olds. Stupid game, right? Because these kids are getting bounced over, and, they're and we, they would yell at each other to distract you. And every time you stepped off the line, you got a point, and the kid with the least points won. It was awesome. Highly competitive. <laughs> and somebody always got hurt and ruined it, you know? And so Ricky Dvorak was the class bully, and he made sure you got hurt just in case you made it to the end of the line or you get step out. So you always came away with one point. Walk the line. Fun memory. All right? But in looking at this text today, I was reminded by a course I took one year in seminary, uh, and it's based on biblical preaching in Simeon Trust. Dick Lucas, the rector of St. Helens, admonishes good preachers to make sure you stay on the line of Scripture. St. Helens Bishopsgate, phenomenal church in London. You don't go above it and add to it, and you don't go below it and subtract from it. And that's exactly what's going on here. So I encourage you to open up with your, in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. If you're visiting with us, you'll know it's in the back of the bulletin, because we learned three great life-changing truths that make us healthy followers of Christ together. We learn, first, that we all have a default setting. <laughs> Two, we learn the value of knowing the Bible. And three, we learn that God is Lord. All right? You may not think that's revolutionary, but it is. Number one, 
we all have a default setting. Two, there's the value of knowing the scripture. And three, Jesus is Lord. All right, let's look at this, shall we? The first is that we all have a default setting, and that is we all tend to go off the line, either right or to the left, or above it or below it, either way. And the group that Jesus is specifically dealing with, as you know, is the Pharisees, who had an overemphasis on regulations, while merely forming, uh, following the formalities of religiosity. Verse 23 and 24, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they went their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Well, the Pharisees were rule keepers, and they were the God plus gospel crowd. In order to be right with God, you followed the Bible plus their 673 regulations that they came up for themselves. They seem to have thought exclusively about the outward appearance of religion rather than the spirit of following the Lord. On top of that, they made up all these additional regulations regarding washings, fastings, peculiarities of dress, while repentance, faith, personal holiness were kind of overlooked. You know, they would have winked at perjury. (laughs) They would have overlooked extortion. But disobey the Sabbath as their traditions dictated and there would cause a riot. We see this today in some obscure circles in American legalism. It's much less than it was 30, 40 years ago, but it's still there. You'll see it, you know. My mom's Methodist church in Moultrie, Georgia. My mom said, the only thing you couldn't do is have fun. You know? You know, she had a religion class in high school. Religion class in high school. Where in Tramp, every year, the same old dear Baptist sister who gave the gospel plus don't drink, don't smoke, don't dance. In other words, Jesus plus right? The gospel, which isn't the gospel at all. It's like an arithmetic saying two plus two equals five. That's what they're doing. Now, we can do it as Anglicans too now, all right? Very quickly, we can do this. I've, I thank God for you. Thank God for you. Because <laughs> I served in churches where it wasn't real worship unless you held the Book of Common Prayer held a hymnal you know all music had to be played on the pipe organ Uh, no contemporary instrumentation at all we started what is we have our 11 o'clock service now we started this in Bennettsville South Carolina as an initiative to reach out to the lapsed Baptists of Bennettsville we did you know, because I got started on this because one of my kids came to our service and he heard a pipe organ. He goes, are we going to a funeral? <laughs> I went to the vestry and said, look, you guys, we're reaching out to all these, these redneck pagan kids and they think our worship is a funeral. And they go, well, what do we want to do? I go, well, why don't we just play the piano? You know, play the guitar, play djembe. Just, just exactly what we're doing at 11 o'clock. <laughs> the service started to balloon. You know, it really got twice as big as the traditional service did. 
And I had an older dear woman, dear saint, come out and say to me, you know, we really need to teach these people to be real Anglicans. I said, so you want them to be like you? Is that what you're saying? We got into some lively fellowship that day. <laughs> Friends, we have brothers and sisters of all kinds of traditions. Our friend Alistair Begg's church across the town does not look like this. There's not a more faithful preacher in the whole country. Matt Chandler of the Village Church in Dallas started off with 150. Today he's got 15,000 people going to the Village Church. Yes, it's a sermon sandwich. I don't prefer it. What I mean by a sermon sandwich is there's lots of singing up front, 45 minutes to hour sermon, Another hymn, go home, all right? There's very little participa participation. But the reality is that crowd loves Jesus. They know the word of God well, and the man's a phenomenal preacher, and they are, they are doing a great job in the Dallas Metroplex area. Let's pick our battles. Let's pick our battles, all right? Paul says in Galatians 4 about this Jesus plus gospel that's going on in Galatia, you are observing special days, months, seasons, years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Wouldn't that hurt you if Paul said that to you? You're doing all this stuff. I have wasted my time ministering to you. I fear we, no, let's not add to the gospel. Let's, let's not do a two plus two equals five gospel. Let's not step to the right of the line, as some do in our culture. But that's really not the issue for most American Christianity, is it? When you really think about it. What our tendency in our culture is to subtract from the gospel in other words, to say, well, the Bible might say that, but he really doesn't mean that, right? In other words, it's a below-the-line-ism, a left-ism, two plus two equals three, and it's an unrecognizable Christianity. It doesn't have the power to transform anybody. That's the first thing, is to recognize where are we? Are, do we tend to lean to the right? Lean to the left? Which one? Secondly, we learn here is the value of knowing God's word in verses 25 to 27. Don't you find it phenomenal, Jesus just says, to these guys who knew the Bible really well, well have you never read? Isn't that great? Verse 25, have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. This you will find in 1 Samuel, when we find David and his mighty men, uh, they were hungry, they went to the house of God, Yes, they ate the bread of presence, which was only for the priest to eat. 
but the reality is it demonstrated an act of mercy, of provision for people. It's an act of necessity because they were hungry, their needs were known, and the priests met them. And it's interesting because the Pharisees, and Jesus knew, they couldn't deny David, the man after God's own heart. You know, he was a good example to follow except for that little tryst with Bathsheba, you know. But Jesus raises the word of God as their example, and they stood absolutely dumbfounded. They had no reply. Because the sword of the spirit of the word of God was a weapon that they couldn't match. Therefore, you get to the end of the text. They really appear petty, don't they? Really seem silly. And this should be our pattern as well, friends. Whenever a situation in life comes along, someone questions what the Bible says, we have every right as professing Christians to say, well, what does the Bible say? Right? And we should know it and refer others to it and discuss such matters in all types of disputes. It's the most powerful tool we have. Oh, there will be people who will roll their eyes. It's okay. It's happened to me a lot. You know, it won't hurt. But we must recognize that it will silence adversaries very quickly as it did for Jesus, because it's a correction from Scripture. We must know it well, read it diligently, perseveringly, prayerfully. And if we don't do that, it won't be there when we need it. And when you don't have a, a quick answer for whatever situation you're discussing with your friend or coworker, whoever this is, just be quick to say, you know what, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll get back to you. That's okay. I, I've done that before. But just keep growing in it. You don't want to do that for the rest of your life. But keep growing in it. J.C. Ryle says, The Bible is to be known and studied, pondered, prayed over, searched into, and not left lying on a shelf or carelessly looked at now and then. It is students of the Bible, and they only, who will find it a weapon ready to hand, ready to hand in the day of battle. I love Bishop Ryle. Other word, in other words, kind of like Matt Chandler says of the village church, if you're not confident for the authority of the Bible, you're going to be a slave to whatever sounds right. That's so true. So my friends, let us know the word of God and trust it. Last, we recognize that Jesus is Lord. Verse 27, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. So therefore, in 21st century American language, Jesus is Lord of our Sundays. The original command from Exodus 20 is to remember the Sabbath. We had it read earlier, Deuteronomy 5. Did you notice Deuteronomy 5? It was most words were designated to God's people regarding the Sabbath and the repeating of the commandments. Deuteronomy is written before they go into the promised land, right? He's reviewing all of the law before they're going to go into the promised land. And when he reviews the Ten Commandments, why is the Sabbath command the one which is most, you know, exposed, if you will? 
exposited for God's people. Because it's the presenting issue. How we live this day together shows much of what's going on in our hearts. It is meant to be a day for our benefit, physically, mentally, spiritually, a blessing that we receive as a gift one day out of all the days of the week. That's one day a week, 52 weeks a year. That's seven and a half extra vacation weeks a year that we get. To what? As the scripture says, cease from our work, gather together to hear the word of God, and as we see needs, we meet them. Here and elsewhere as God gives us. And works of necessity. If you're a farmer, you've got to feed your animals. You know? I had one of those in Bennettsville. You, know, you have to take care of things. You might have to do some necessity work. But watch it creeping in together. Because it's a, it's a sign for us pointing to Jesus, who is our rest. Colossians 2 says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Point being, you know, there are those who have to work on Sundays. We've spoken about that often. You know, doctors, lawyers, nurses, you know, patients, pastors. And their Sabbath may have to be on another day. And so I just want to encourage us to let's struggle through this together. But Jesus is Lord. It's not an option. He is King. And the problem for us is not, you know, the Eric Little, you can't do anything on Sundays. It's the fact that we cram so much into Sundays that it's no longer Sunday, right? With all the activities we have. Rick Riley. I miss Rick Riley as the editor of Sports Illustrated. You know, when he left being the editor, I canceled my subscription. Because the, this next editor came along with stupid commentary, and, and Rick Riley was so culture-oriented. He said this right before he retired. For some reason, over-caffeinated parents feel they have to keep up with the Joneses. They used to do it with their cars, now they do it with their kids. Talking about Sunday leagues and practices, don't bet on coaches doing the right thing. If they could, they'd have your kids running stairs on Christmas morning. What has to happen is the parents have to start saying no. Because we tend to worship at the God of good things. Baseball is so much fun. Soccer, hockey, NFL, golf, fishing, hunting, boating, I could go on. They're all good activities. Even work is good. My dad was a workaholic. He worked on Sundays all the time. No, friends, he's Lord, even of our day as a gift. Let's push back. May I suggest a new rhythm of life? A rhythm that makes this, once again, the highlight of our week. That we 
sundown last night to sundown tonight, we rest. We let the Word of God speak into our lives. And we meet needs. We help one another. And do works of necessity. If we need to do them, do them. Don't be legalistic about it. Take a nap. Go for a walk. Come join the Avon Lake Missional Community tonight as we celebrate walk, finishing up First Peter. It's at Gary and Iris' house. You need to let them know they're buying the burgers. Sorry, at 5 o'clock. We'd love to have you. But the reality is we rest and we reflect on how the Lord spoke to us Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then on next Thursday we start to prepare again, being intentional. It's a beautiful thing. Because the real question for us, each and every one of us, as we close this this morning is, as we tend to step to the right and add things, or step to the left and subtract things, we all do it. We have to ask ourselves, where's our heart? Because so many people will say, ah, I, I believe this, but they add or subtract, right? The question really is, is this Jesus your Jesus? Is this God? This Jesus is who he really is. Do you mind if he dares to be in your life who he really is? Do you object to that at all? Do you prefer a Jesus who will never terrify you? Never mystify you? Never demand anything of you? Do you prefer a Jesus who complies to your expectations, aligns with your desires, your schedule, your kids' schedules, your budget, your politics, your sexuality? If so, your Jesus is boring. You want to know why? Because he's a mini-me God. He's a little pocket Jesus that you can stick, pocket edition, you can stick in your pocket and you can bring him out and you can worship him. But he does exactly what you want him to do. He's your bobblehead Jesus. You get it progressive feel. You can put it on your desk. It has no power to transform you whatsoever. Maybe this morning, as your pocket Jesus sprinkles pixie dust over your little suburban status quo. Maybe it's time to lose that religion and take up the real Jesus, who, as his followers stepped to the right, went to the cross for them because he knew they would add to the gospel because we do that. And for those who step to the left and take away from the gospel, he went to the cross and says, I love you this much. He's really good at bringing us back and walking the line. And it's not Johnny Cash. It was a great song, Walk the Line, but it's not Johnny Cash. It's Jesus who loved us with an everlasting love. So when we depart this life, because death is not a lever, it's a departure gate into the real it's the God who provides sustenance for you. 
It's the God who gives the revelation of his word for you. And it's the God who's our Lord. He's not a pocket God. In closing, remember the story that Jesus told his two, of, of the two sons. The one son, he said, hey son, go out into the field. I need you to go out there. And the first son said, yes sir, I'll go. And he didn't go. Second son, he said, hey, son, I need you to go out in the field. He goes, I'm not going out in the field. I'm working. It's 95 degrees. Nuh-uh. No, not going. But he went. Changed his mind, and he went. Who did the father's will? The second son, and the only, in both cases, the heart was in a different place than the mouth. Our Lord wants us, by getting on the line, to align our heart with our mouth to follow. Not perfectly, but as a child of the living God. And in an effort to do that, as healthy followers of Jesus Christ, this summer and this fall, we're going to be talking a lot about authentic worship as we gather together. Because it's the one characteristic we're working on. The, the health team is going to gather this upcoming Saturday to talk about this authentic worship. And we all have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to feed you well. To, to tell good stories, because that's our culture. To, to make sure that I'm communicating the gospel effectively so you're equipped and inspired as you walk away from here to follow the Lord wherever you go, in every aspect of your life. That our music is is Christ-centered, lines up with the scriptures, which Brian does excellently, by the way. And it's excellent as unto the Lord, and that we're singing and we're making a joyful noise. So sing! You know? If it's a dead congregation, you can be told in the singing. All right? Sing, it doesn't have to be in tune. Swallow your pride. Third, what are your expectations as we come here every Sunday? Are we really expecting to meet the living God? Did you think about that as you got dressed this morning? I'm coming to meet the Lord with my friends. Because you do. The Lord is speaking through his word. And we are participants, not spectators. We're not a sermon sandwich church, are we? We're going we're gonna to say a 2,000-year-old creed in a second. We're going to pour out our hearts in prayer to the Lord, right? And we're going to come to the Lord's table. Uh, that's so cool. <laughs> Let's do that. And finally, that we're also a welcoming atmosphere. That's going to help us stay on the line together corporately so that we can go out equipped to stay on the line individually for his passion and his glory. Because that's where joy will be found. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that... You, O oh Lord, are the one who transforms lives because you are Lord of the Sabbath, Lord Jesus. 
And we pray that we would stay on the line for your honor and glory. Not to earn our salvation, because grateful that we have salvation in you. And because of that, Lord, we would pursue you well in our day. Knowing your word, recognizing that your word is sustenance for us, because you are the bread of life. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you this day grateful that we have this time and one another to sit at your feet and hear from your word how we might be your people and minister and be a blessing to one another and others as you give us opportunity. I pray you think our thoughts, that your words would be mine, that you would bend our wills and through it set our hearts on fire with love for you and for your son Jesus Christ, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. You know, for, for kids, this time of year is really hard for especially those little kids that are still in school because they're really not doing anything. You know, they're not, but they're just busy work. The teachers are ready to go because they got their vacation plans made. And I remember, you know, in Virginia where I grew up, we didn't get out of school until about the 12th of June, you know. So it's this huge elementary school, large black top. And I'm in first and second grade, and I, I now call them, we designed stupid games. You know, games that only seven and eight-year-old boys can design that somebody was always going to get hurt, <laughs> and some dude was always going to tell on the rest of us, and we were going to beat him up on the way home. All right? That's what we did. All right? It's not good, but we did. All right? <laughs> You're smiling, Jim, because Jim did the same thing. All right, so <laughs> we had this one game. I'm in second grade, and again, it's just, just imagine this scene. There's, there's 300 kids on the playground, and we all went to the far corner of the playground because the teacher wasn't going to see what you were doing over there. So there's the baseline of this basketball court, and so all the boys in Miss Reed's class got on one side, so you got 15 boys in the class, so there's seven on one side, eight on the other side, and we played walk the line. And so what you had to do was walk as fast as you could through the line, and they could yell at the top of their lungs to distract you, and they could push but not shove you to find that. Okay, You can push, but you can't shove. All right? And so you're on your mark. Get set, go. You'd walk. They're yelling. They're pushing. And they're all like that. And there's Ricky Dvorak was at the end of the line. Just in case you hadn't gotten pushed off by then, you know, he was going to push you down. Boom. Because he was bigger than everybody. And so we kept points. You know, if you, if you stepped to the right, you had a point. If you got pushed to the left, you had a point. You had to walk on the line. And the person with the least amount of points won. Right? But somebody always told. And we all got in trouble. And we were going to get him on the way home for telling. It's what happened. But to stay on the line was the whole goal. You know, as I read this text, it made me think of the rector Dick Lucas of St. Helens Bishopsgate. 
Dick was the rector of St. Helens in London from 1960 to 1990. 30 years of faithfully exposing the word there to what is the Wall Street area of London. And his first principle of preaching is you need to stay on the line of Scripture, he would say. You don't go above it by adding to it, and you don't go below it by subtracting from it. Because when we look at Jesus' dealings with the Pharisees, they're not on the line of Scripture. And we're going to learn three great truths for us all today, both the adults and the young people, but also our graduates as we walk through this together. So if you open up with me in your Bibles, it's also in the back of your bulletin if you don't have it. We open up the Word of God to Mark chapter 2, beginning with verse 23. And we learn three great truths in this passage. First, we all have a default setting. Two, we recognize the value of knowing God's word. And three, we recognize Jesus is Lord. One, we all have a default setting. Two, the value of knowing the Bible. And three, Jesus is Lord. So let's look at this. First, we all have a default setting, and that default setting is step to the right or the left of the line, or go above or below the line. Let's look at the Pharisees first, verse 23. These Pharisees have an overemphasis on regulations, which merely dealt with the outward form and appearance of religiosity. Verse 23, one Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? These guys are rule keepers, rule makers. They're the God plus gospel crowd. They literally came up with plus 673 regulations if you really were going to be a follower of, of God. They seem to have thought exclusively about the outward part of the life of a disciple, the husk, the shell, and the ceremonies of religious observance. And on top of that, they made up so many additional restrictions involving fasting, uh, forms of dress, uh, washings, and worship, while repentance... Faith, holiness, mercy were completely overlooked. They more than likely would have winked at perjury, extortion, but disobey the Sabbaths as their traditions dictated, oh, you would cause a riot. And so it was a legalism, if you will. And we see that today. It's not so much as it used to be, but it's still around. It rears its ugly head. My mom grew up in a Methodist church in Moultrie, Georgia. We said the only regulation you had is that you couldn't have fun. <laughs> you know? In 11th grade, she had a religious section for a whole month. And she, I asked her this week, Mom, what was that lady's name? She goes, I don't know. It was some sister so-and-so. But Sister So-and-So came in to her religious class at Moultrie High School and taught them Christian doctrine. My mom would say, 
American legalism doctrine where you couldn't drink, you couldn't smoke, you couldn't dance, and mom was going to go to the University of Georgia and she was going to dance. So you can see how it affected her. Really, when you think about it, when you add to the gospel like that, it's like saying in arithmetic that 2 plus 2 is 5. You see what they're doing? Jesus is, we're going to discover later, Jesus is God. So 2 plus 2 is 4. And when you add, you're saying it's 5. You're going above the line of Scripture, as Dick Lucas would say. Or you're stepping to the right. And nobody wants to be around those kind of people. Now, we do see it in Anglicanism, friends. You can, we can be Jesus plus people. We don't watch it. I've had the experience, I thank God you guys aren't like this. You know, uh, some of the churches I served in since 1996, you weren't a real Anglican unless you held a Book of Common Prayer. You weren't a real Anglican unless you held an 82 hymnal. You weren't a real Christian if you didn't have a pipe organ. It was finely tuned. And any music that wasn't classical that came out of our hymnal is of the devil. But the devil really doesn't exist because I'm a liberal and, you know, I mean, it was ridiculous types of things. We started an 11 o'clock service just like this one at St. Paul's Bennettsville. I think I've shared this story with you before, but it's worth bearing and repeating. Because there were so many lapsed Baptists. Because if you're a Baptist in Bennettsville, South Carolina, do you want to not drink, not smoke, and not dance? Because that's what Pastor Jim's teaching every Sunday. It's a Jesus plus gospel, so people stop going. And I had a bunch of kids that I was reaching in our student ministry, and they came to our regular service. And I'll never forget, Jeff McCaskill elbows me. He, he, he's listening to the pipe organ. He goes, hey, Gene, is this a funeral? <laughs> Somebody die? I go, no, Jeff, that's just the music here. So I went to the vestry, and I said, we got to change something, because these, you, you hired me. And these kids are coming to faith in Christ, and uh, they hate it. And their families do, too. We would do Youth Sunday, and they would never come back. But we started this 11 o'clock service. Guess what they did? They came back. They liked St. Paul's. It's, it's a, a warm, welcoming place where gospel, grace, and truth. Had one lady waiting for us after the 11 o'clock service. She walks up to me and says, you know... We need to teach these people to be real Anglicans. I said, so you want them to be like you? Really? We had lively fellowship that day. <laughs> oh, friends, we can do it too. We've got to be careful of that. You know, think about it. Matt Chandler, the Village Church, started only about 10 years ago in Dallas. Started with 150 people, a little smaller than we are. They are over 15,000 now. Gospel-based preaching. The guy is a phenomenal preacher, and their service is nothing more than a sermon sandwich. You know what I mean by a sermon sandwich, right? Okay, it's a hymn, sermon, and a hymn all put together. Boom, eat it. All right? No prayer, no participation, really. You're really a spectator. But you know what? They love the Lord. They're doing great ministry all over the Dallas Metroplex area. And his mug is being 
broadcast on all these different sites all over the place. It's not my cup of tea, but who am I to say to, to my brother, Matt Chandler, you know, you're doing it wrong. You don't, you don't, you don't have a collar on. <laughs> See, you've got to watch that. We're all prone to it. But if you really look at it, that's not most of ours issue, stepping to the right of the line, is it? Really. Most of us, <laughs> it's subtracting. We read, the word, we read something in the word, well, that really doesn't apply to me. You know, I don't really need to fill in the blank. After it's a clear imperative. That's two plus two equals three. Christianity, which is not Christianity at all. It's, it's unrecognizable because it won't transform anybody. We'll, we'll, we'll continue on with that theme in a little bit, but let's keep going. Okay, so that's the first point, is that we all have a default setting. Let's own it. We tend to lean to the right, lean to the left. One of those. Let's recognize that. Secondly, there is an incredible value in knowing the word of God. Verse 25 to 27. I find it absolutely hilarious that Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and says, do you read? <laughs> These guys have been to school their entire lives and they're an oral tradition. You know, they, they can read, number one. And he says, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the presence in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. You can find that story in 1 Samuel, well-known story. David and his mighty men were hungry. They went to the house of God, and they got some of the bread of presence that was set aside only for the priest to eat, because the priest had to eat something. Right? That's what was set aside for them. But David's men were hungry, and the priest gladly gave it to them because they knew he was going to be the future king. <laughs> All right? They were hungry. And to demonstrate the principle that on the Lord's day, it's totally acceptable to do acts of mercy, acts of necessity, if you will. All right? Because it demonstrates the grace and the mercy of God. And the Pharisees couldn't deny their boy David, could they? They couldn't. He's the man after God's own heart, and he was a great example except for that tryst with Bathsheba. Um, he, was, he was still a man after God's own heart. So Jesus raises the word of God, the Bible, because it is the sword of the Spirit. And they stood dumbfounded. They had no reply. Because it was a weapon that they couldn't match. And they really appear silly, don't they? Just kind of petty. And this should be our pattern as well, ladies and gentlemen. Number one, that we should know it. And when people question our faith or or you're talking to someone to whom you disagree with over matters of the scripture, you can just say, well, what does the Bible say? And that we're familiar with it, we can pull it out of our head and our heart and share it. That we know the word of God. All right? Oh, th there'll be someone make fun of us. 
I've had more than one set of eyes roll. Well, the Bible says, and they roll their eyes. Okay. I didn't get hurt. All right. Neither will you. But we must know it well, read it diligently, lastingly, perseveringly, prayerfully, or it won't be there when we do need it. Now, there's always a situation that comes along every now and then. You're not exactly sure about what your friend or your coworker or whoever you're speaking to about an issue in the scripture. You can always say, you know, I'm not certain. I'll get back to you on that. I wouldn't recommend that for a lifetime. <laughs> Because we are called to be familiar with it. J.C. Rowell says, We are called to know God's word. It must be studied, pondered, prayed over, searched into, and not left lying on a shelf or carelessly looked at now and then. It is students of the Bible, and they only who will find a weapon ready to hand in the day of battle. Love Bishop Rowell. He's great. Matt Chandler says it another way. He says, if you're not confident for the authority of the Bible, you'll be a slave to what sounds right. So true. So friends, let us know the word of God. And finally, we see that Jesus is Lord. Verse 27, and Jesus said to them, they're talking about the Sabbath. They raised it. So he says, well, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. So if we're going to put it in 21st century terms, Jesus is Lord of the Sundays. Because Sunday is for you, not you for Sundays. And Jesus is Lord of your Sundays, whether you recognize it or not. The original command comes from Exodus 20 with the giving of the Ten Commandments. In Deuteronomy that Iris read for us this morning, Deuteronomy is a recalling of all the law because God's people are about to go into the promised land. So God wants to make sure they understand every bit of it. And two of these Ten Commandments are given a lot of weight in this repeating of the Ten Commandments. Idolatry and the Sabbath. Why do you think that is? Because the prevailing issue of how a believer or a professing believer treats Sundays is a prevailing issue of what's going on in the rest of their life with the Lord. Because they're probably committing idolatry. <laughs> they're worshiping something else. Probably a good thing, but making it an ultimate thing. The Sabbath was given to us for our benefit. It's a blessing. One day out of the week, 52 weeks out of the year, that's seven and a half weeks of extra vacation a year if we'll just receive that gift. And what we're called to do is to stop working. Don't do what you do for a living for 24 hours. Sundown on Saturday to sundown tonight. Relax. Cease from your work. Gather with God's people in the morning to hear the word of God, to be equipped, to walk away inspired and encouraged, and to meet needs as God reveals them to you. To even do works of necessity if you need to. Because, you know, working in Bennisville, South Carolina, we had a few farmers, and animals got to eat, even on Sundays. 
They had to work, you know. So they got up an hour early so they could come to church. It's pretty cool. No, we do acts of necessity. It was never meant to be enforced to be a day where the basic necessities of life or one's health would be denied. Isn't it fascinating that Jesus often healed people on the Sabbath? <laughs> Just to make the point that the Sabbath is a gift to be together. Because the Sabbath is a sign that points us to Jesus. Paul refers to this in Colossians. He says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you on questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath, because they're worshiping on Sundays now. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ, he says. Meaning Christ is our rest. And so therefore, it's, it's a blessing for each and every one of us if we'll just partake it and receive it. Because he's Lord. Now there's always going to be some of us that can't work, can't uh, not take Sundays off. You know, there are people who honestly have to work. Doctors, nurses, pastors, police officers, firemen. Even professionals sometimes have to work on Sundays. We get that. But honestly, we need to recognize that so much of what we've crammed into Sunday really doesn't have to be there. And it's become a day where we've taken good activities and made them ultimate. I love Rick Riley when he was the editor of Sports Illustrated. He always made great comments on sports and culture. Here's what he said about our kids' athletic cultures about 10 years ago. Right? This is written about 10 years ago, right before he retired. He said, for some reason, over-caffeinated parents feel they have to keep up with the Joneses. They used to do it with their cars. Now they do it with their kids. Talking about Sunday leagues and practices. Don't bet on coaches doing the right thing. If they, had, if they had their way, they'd have your kids running stairs on Christmas morning. What has to happen is parents have to start saying, no. And he continues, we worship at the altar of the soccer god, the hockey god, the NFL god, the golf god, the fishing, the hunting, the boating god, going on and on. All good things. All good things. Or we work. Some of us are workaholics. No. The commandment is to stop working. Gather together. Let me speak to you through my word and bless one another and others as I give you the opportunity to do so. And sometimes be intentional to go do so. God suggests to us through his word a new rhythm of life, ladies and gentlemen. I've mentioned it before. Even this spring, we had a similar passage we preached on. The reality is the Christian life is a new rhythm of doing life, isn't it? With Sunday as the highlight of my week. That is not my Saturday night, it's my Sunday morning and beginning of Saturday night. And so Sunday's my highlight and you go home this afternoon and you take a nap. Take a walk, feast, enjoy, 
whatever is recreative to you, do it. Relax. If it's, you like to mow the lawn, have at it. I mowed mine a couple days ago, you know? Hey, but it's a relaxing day, letting the Lord speak and sharing with one another as a family how the Lord spoke to us together. And if you have, meet a need. And then we reflect Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday on how God spoke to us to encourage one another. And then next Thursday, we start it all over again, preparing for our day of rest, our vacation day to come, looking at the text for the following week, allowing the Lord to prepare us. But the reality is we come before the Lord to celebrate the living God who still speaks. And that's the question about us staying on the line, isn't it? Because we're called to stay on the line. And the question is, this is the real Jesus. And this is a hard issue. Because so many people say, oh, I believe that. And then they subtract, don't they? They take away, and it's an unrecognizable Christianity. Because so many people can say, oh, I believe it, but they really haven't given it all over yet. Because Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I tell you to? Luke 6, 46. This task, this text, asks all of us, who is Jesus? Do you mind if he dares to be who he really is in your life? Do you object to that? Do you prefer a Jesus who will never terrify you, never oppose you, never mystify you, never demand anything of you? Do you require a Jesus who complies with your expectations, aligns with your schedule or your kids' schedules, your budget, your politics, your sexuality? If so, I just got to tell you, your Jesus is really boring. Because you know who Jesus is? He's a mini-me Jesus that you can put in your pocket and bring out anytime you want to. And you can worship him if you want, but you look really stupid doing because he's never told you to do anything that you don't want to do. He's boring. He's, he's like the bobblehead Jesus who comes out when you want to do sprinkling his suburban pixie dust on your status quo. All right? No. My friends, I think you need to lose your religion. Because this Jesus is the one who's Lord of your Sundays, who invites you in, doesn't force you, invites you in, who gives us his word as food for life, because he is the bread of life, and he sustains us in so many ways. Let's stay on the line. You wonder why? Because this is the Jesus who, when we step to the right and we add stuff, he runs to the cross and says, this is how much I loved you. For people who killed me, the Pharisees and the Jews, put him on the cross and said, crucify him. And for those of us who step to the left, 
They're just like the Romans who said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is why he died. And so, my friends, we come to this Lord who provides everything for us. And in an effort to do just that as, that, as a community, each and every Sunday, we're going to be really focusing on authentic worship together. Pushing one another. Encouraging one another. As we go through this campaign over the next year, to make sure that we're truly walking away every week inspired. And we all have a role. I have a role with the sermons, and I've got a sermon team who's meeting tomorrow night at my house as we go through how my sermons for you can equip you and assist you by God's grace to be equipped in every way to do the work God's called you to do, in a relevant way, using stories, because that's the way our culture is, you know? I'm working on it. You know, and the health team is working with the music. So if you have any music ability, please see Brian. You know, we would love to do it. He does a phenomenal job matching the texts with the tunes that we sing for the church calendar season. Let's make sure we're developing a welcoming atmosphere. Especially when you see visitors and people who haven't been here for a while. Just welcome people because we're a place of grace. We're so glad people are here. Right? Taking time not to turn to my best friend in the church, but turning to someone maybe I don't know very well and introducing myself. And last but not least, that we're expectant people. That when we come together as we're driving here, we are praying, Lord, show me your glory. Help me to see you new today. Because he will, if we're open to it. Realizing that Jesus is Lord of our Sundays. And so to our graduates, we, we will bless you and pray for you today. We're excited for you and what the Lord's doing in your lives. We give you some gifts. And these gifts are symbolic of our corporate life together. The first gift you're going to see is an ESV study Bible. It's leather. We put your name on the front of it. Unfortunately, I signed it on the front, so if you can't read it, talk to me. I'll translate it for you. All right? Our point in giving you the Word of God is that is a Bible that is so rock solid. The study notes are from all kinds of wonderful Reformed scholars of our tradition and beyond. And the notes in the back, there's the, the articles that are in the back, how can you trust the Word of God? It's worth the price of the Bible. It's awesome. The second gift we give you is a book by John Piper called Don't Waste Your Life. Isn't that an attractive title? It's a wonderful book on making sure that we, as we are young followers of Christ, living with the all-consuming passion of showing His glory in the way we live and move and have our being. It'll encourage you. It will challenge you. But it'll encourage you. You'll see incredible stories of young people who were used mightily of God, using their gifts for the Lord. And last... As always, we give you a, a fleece blanket made by the, the Tuesday Women's Group. It's got your school colors on it. And we remind you when it's February, when you're in school and you kind of wish you might be home, you can wrap yourself in it and remind you that we are praying for you as a community and we love you and you're always welcome back here. 
but we send you out because we know we can't keep you. And your parents know that too. It's one of the hardest things a parent's got to do is to send a child out. But the reality is you're designed to do so. So therefore, let's walk the line, empowered by the Holy Spirit, recognizing that God is the God who gives us his word to walk in the truth of it because he's already walked in the truth of it for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for you this day, and we're grateful for your love and your grace given to us in Jesus. We pray that as we seek to do that this week, that we would recognize our default settings, whether we, we lean to the right and add to the gospel, or lean to the left and subtract from the gospel, that you, Holy Spirit, would get us back on the line because that's where the abundant life is found and true life transformation will be found. And that we be healthy Christians ministering in our day just like the first century church did so that we would see you move mightily in and through us. For we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.